Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories about the weather and climate and how they interact with our daily lives. Another volatile week in so many ways, but especially in the weather department. An unprecedented fire season has been fueled by relentless drought and heat and it has exploded in amazing numbers. Numbers we haven't seen before in many states, including California, especially in the western part of the country. Interior parts of the west, like Denver, had some relief. Denver went from near 100 to having snow on the ground late Tuesday into Wednesday morning. As that colder air moved south and east, it was modified, but it has brought some much cooler temperatures than average to the Great Lakes, and that coolness heads into the northeast of New England this weekend. With that taste of fall in the air, it will make it even harder to be without the beloved sport of college football in many places, including here, where the headquarters of AccuWeather is located in State College, Pennsylvania with Penn State University. I felt it was time to talk about the college football situation in this crazy pandemic year of 2020. Dave Jones will join me to talk about the future of whether the Big Ten is actually going to try to play later this fall, how this situation with college football may impact the college basketball situation and sports into the spring, and just our recollections of what it's like to not be part of the great college football pageantry on each Saturday afternoon in Happy Valley. We'll also then talk to Dave Samuel one of our senior meteorologists who will talk about some of this explosive fire situations in the West and if there's relief in sight for those folks out there. And a listener suggestion, we're going to talk about how you could replace or repair and whether you should do one or the other or recycle some of your appliances or your electronics in this stormy season. These are all things that we're going to talk about on this busy episode. Friends, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. Here we are in episode three of our back to school series and with cooler weather of September invading into the Northeast and New England, college football should be on my mind. In fact, I should be finishing up the podcast and then writing my charts for what, well, at least pre-COVID, we thought was going to be the second home game of the season. Then for there about 10 days, we thought this was going to be the home opener for Penn State football in a COVID-shortened season. But alas, there will be no college football this weekend in the Big Ten, Pac-12, the MAC. But then there are other leagues that are already underway and more college football leagues and teams taking the field this weekend. Like me, uh, Patriot News and Penn Life columnist David Jones has had the blessing of growing up loving and then working within the framework of college sports in the heydays of both college football and basketball. Dave and I started covering Penn State sports right around the same time in 1989. He joined the Patriot staff after five years with the Columbus Dispatch, and he's covered Penn State basketball now for 30 years. He had 
covered every NCAA Final Four in person since 1994 until COVID canceled last spring's tournament. He started covering the Nittany Lion football team the following fall, 1990, and has been the beat writer first, and then since 2002, the columnist about Penn State football for the Patriot News and PennLive.com. So 29 years covering Penn State football. He's won multiple awards for his journalism, and he has even served as the 74th president of the Football Writers Association of America back in 2017. It is no understatement to say that Dave Jones knows college football, and I'm blessed to have his friendship, and it's been a friendship over these 30 years that is always centered on the free exchange of ideas and opinions when we may not always agree, but I knew in that spirit, he was certainly the person to talk to to find out where we were in this crazy time of college football in 2020. So, Dave, uh, it's been quite a trying time. Uh, you wrote an amazing article, at least it resonated with me last Saturday when uh, both you and I should have been in the Beaver Stadium press box. I know, uh, you know, the problems of the world right now are bigger than college football, but in a place like State College, it is problematic that we're not playing football in this college season. First of all, let's start with, uh, you know, we've been hearing lots of mixed messages in the recent weeks about the possibilities of the Big Ten trying to start up uh, later this fall. Uh, kind of give me a little bit of an idea of what you've heard in the last several days here as we uh, record this late in the day on Thursday. I think it's all about liability and nobody's talking about it. And I don't think the presidents want to take on that liability for uh, any kind of long term problem that could generate, I don't know, class action suits for athletes who have lessened capabilities because of heart or lung damage and all of a sudden can't play professionally. I think that's what it's all about. And no one's talking about that for some reason. It's a, it's getting mucked up with whether kids are going to die. Well, you know, very, very unlikely that anyone's going to die. It's not about that. It's about turning a uh, first round draft choice prospect into maybe an undrafted free agent if they begin to, if they get COVID and then wheeze for two or three months or longer. We don't even know. So the question is who takes on that long-term care liability? I don't think the universities want to. I think some parents and their players are willing to. And it's a very complicated mess. Then you you have the fact that this has been treated as a, <laughs> they've been treated as amateurs all this time. Well, you, right. we know they're not amateurs, right, but right. that's the way they've been treated to the benefit of the universities because they get free labor for just the cost of a, a grant and aid. Does this threaten that model, that mm-hmm. whole template? I came at you with that early on in this. I mean, I... I... I think this kind of crisis has been brewing, but uh, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But are you surprised that you know two of the Power Five have said no to this start, but three of the Power Five are continuing? Are you surprised that the ACC and the SEC and the Big Twelve are continuing down the path to play here as we start this uh, week two? No, I predicted it in May. <laughs> I think in the South. Football is just much more important, and politically, it's a more jagged pill for presidents down there to try to try to make everyone swallow to call off the season. I think they would like to, but I don't think politically that's feasible down there while it is more in the North and the Midwest. 
I got I got a letter last week, week before last, from somebody who moved from State College to somewhere in South Carolina, and he contended that football, college football fans are the same everywhere. I said because he he's he's been in South Carolina now for a few years, and they're just they're no different than State College. Well, I said, buddy, I've been all over the Big Ten. I grew up in the Big Ten. I grew up in the Midwest, and I can tell you for a fact that people in the South care a lot more about college football than people in the Midwest. Or the, or the Northeast, uh, maybe in scattered pockets like Columbus and State College and Lincoln. Iowa, maybe, right? Iowa's well, kind of, because that's their pro sports. Maybe, yeah. But I agree with what you're saying. Half I think, of the league, half yeah. of the league, you're talking about, we've been to places, Champaign and mm. Bloomington and right. Evanston and Piscataway and College Park. Where it isn't the diehard ritual. West Lafayette. Yeah, they're college, thinking about right. basketball season right. by Halloween. That does not happen any place in the SEC, anywhere, anywhere in the South. You could carve out a, a rectangle, in fact, from Florida over to Texas up to Oklahoma and over to North Carolina, South Carolina, where, where those people, they live for college football. Right. And you're not going to take it away from them that easily. So it's a it's a political hot potato for presidents to get by everyone that's saying, well, yeah, we're going to shut it down. You can't do it that easily down there. Now, I came at you like a month or so ago, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really worried that this is um, a caveat to try to get into a, a situation where uh, we're downplaying the importance of college football. Um, I've seen it from both sides, Dave, but I've been part of the university. And, you know, there are some, especially in many of these Big Ten institutions, there are some people in the institution that aren't happy with big-time college sports, football, basketball especially. They're not especially enamored with all of that. You know, you could argue that would Penn State have grown if it didn't have big-time college football to the stature in terms of its academic prowess that it seems to have now? I mean, you could make all these kinds of arguments, but in the future of college football, in the future of football in general, I mean, we're talking about all these new studies that keep coming out all the time about CTE. Is there such a concern about the long-term longevity of football as a model to be a big moneymaker that is this an appropriate time when we're seemingly at a pause that people might be considering kind of totally trying to change the dynamic and figuring out where to pick up the pieces after that? Or is it still too big a juggernaut to kind of push off to the side and, and change it all in, in one fell swoop? I think this has been going on for 15, 20 years. Part of it is the Rust Belt, the exodus from the Rust Belt into the South and the population. And that's big, that's been going on for 40 years. And part of it is CTE, when what we've learned from neurologists just in the last 10. And moms and dads in the North are not having their kids play football as much. That's anecdotal as far as I'm concerned, but I can feel it. Uh, just having lived in Pennsylvania for 30 years, I, I've seen the de-emphasis in high school. Yeah, it's not as important as when I was, no. you know, in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, it was huge, 80s and 90s. And then now it seemed to, yeah, you're that's, right. That's it's not true in the South, man. Right. It isn't. They're Texas willing to take that stronger, risk. Right? They're willing to take that risk on down there. They're not willing to take it on in the North and the Midwest. So what I see is only a continuation of what I've 
seen for a while that this is becoming a regional sport. Like like lacrosse and wrestling? Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's right. a becoming a southeastern sport, even though it's hard for us to get our minds around that, who, who are old enough to have grown up with Chris Schenkel and then mm-hmm. Keith Jackson. And, <laughs> right. And, you know, all these great games in the 60s and 70s and 80s and the explosion of college football with the CFA agreement in 1984, where all of a sudden it was all over cable. That's what you remember, where you all of a sudden you were seeing games all over the country where you you only saw two or three per, per weekend before. It got really big, really fast, and it continued to mushroom and mushroom. And the college coaches' salaries, even 10 or 15 years ago, if you could go back to 2000 or 2005, and if you told coaches what high-level Power 5 coaches would be making, both head coaches and coordinators, they wouldn't have believed it. I mean, my brother-in-law was an assistant uh, at seven different D1 FBS schools over a 34-year period, I think it is, 23 at Michigan, three at Wisconsin, uh, a couple at Purdue. So three different Big Ten schools, then Navy in South Carolina and Vanderbilt and, and Toledo. He was all over the place. He got out, uh, I think it's been five years ago. He just missed this huge money thing where you've got you guys like Dave Aranda making a million and a half a year as a coordinator before he he got his big gig. Just think about Penn State, how it was foreign to us that there were coordinator wars, right? We got involved in that the last couple of years in terms of some of the coordinators and stuff. So yeah, it's just been foreign. And But that's the way of life. You're right, in the Southeast. The explosion in this business has just been massive and it keeps mushrooming. And at some point, it's kind of like a stock market. It's got to crash, right? Because it can't, it can't sustain these sort of costs and the, this sort of overhead that it has. The athletic departments. I did a story on the size of the of Penn State's athletic department just last yeah. fifteen, yeah, twenty years. Right, right. A and, lot of titles. Yeah, lots of titles. Yeah. Right. Well, because they had the money to throw around. Now they don't. <laughs> it's yeah. going to change some things. I just don't just don't know what's going to happen here in the next few years. And a lot of that depends on what's going to happen. So crystal ball now, next several weeks, Big Ten gets it together and tries to play by the end of the year, or that's going to get scrapped. What's going on in your mind there? Um, what's also going on in your mind? Because your affinity and love for basketball. He's actually more was a basketball fan and, and got into the football game. Uh, you, you know basketball inside and out. How's the NCAA basketball season playing out to well what people need to understand is that basketball and football are two completely independent businesses one has the ncaa as the organizer basketball right they the ncaa has nothing to do with power five football zero they don't make the money on it the power five conferences make the money on it uh the ncaa needs the college basketball money so uh, I think we're we're seeing yesterday we saw a plan come out from the ACC, the ACC coaches where everyone gets involved. Well, I don't know <laughs> very few details on that, but it sounds like the rationale is to make it as big as possible to try to soak as much money out of it as possible for everyone involved. I don't know that you can soak any more money out of it just 
putting on more games. I don't know that there's going to be any attraction for games. Uh, it, it reminded me of that Onion News Network parody. There's <laughs> a college of moving van services going going against Duke, you know, in the first round because it was 4,096 teams. Right. Fake ESPN guys going, yeah, this is great. More college <laughs> basketball. Well, you know, can you sell that? I don't think you can. No. So. Well, I give the uh, coaches an A for effort at trying to come up with an out, outside-the-box idea. My idea that I put it in the paper this morning is that maybe we should go back for a year or maybe two, if we have to, to re- real geographic regions so where people don't have to travel so much. Right, right. Where they could ostensibly, two-thirds of the, of the schools could take a bus to a real regional in games, space out the eight pods as evenly as possible around the country and make every every pod a geographic pod where that takes care of as many eight teams as close as possible to right. that pod. And maybe then we could we could have 96, I suppose, if you want to make it fair. The problem with any schedule without any non-conference games is it screws the, the little conference teams because they have no juice in their power rate. Right, they, they have no juice play. and they have no nothing yeah. to compare uh, each other against to because yeah. Yeah. Right, so, they're, they're playing their each other and it's not great competition. So there's a fear that they would be aced out with any sort of net ranking thing. So, so the rationale is that you have to have, allow more teams in in order to allow more of of those at large teams. And I don't know if that's true or not. I think you could do it with 80 or 96, but I'd be fine with staying at 68. Anyway, I think the regionalization, a real geographic regionalization like they used to have 30, 40 years ago could be the answer for just the next year or two. Just real quick, a little bit of time left here, back to football. What do you judge the interest in college football and the places where it's not happening. So in other words, do Penn State people have any interest in college football the rest of the season? Do they watch some of these big games in the other conferences? Or is the sport as a whole going to suffer without Pac-12 and the Big Ten playing those kinds of things? Yeah. I mean, what are you going to, are you going to watch any of this stuff tonight? No, I I can't. I just, I I don't, it doesn't interest me. Why doesn't it interest you though? Maybe because I'm missing being around it here so much. I, it's it's almost like I don't want to put myself through that pain to, to then start thinking like an announcer and what I would say in those situations. I, you know, oh, come on, Dave. I know, it's, <laughs> Dave. I know it's hard. I mean, look, it's 36 years I've lived here. Yeah, 36 well, years is, from 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 when I was a student all the way through. It's been at a major part. This of my is life. it. This is it for me. I mean, in the old days, we don't do this anymore. But not too long ago, we used to do around August four. Mm-hmm. You would say, "Okay, time to put our heads down." Right. I would, I would think about instant replay, the old Jerry Kramer book where Lombardi <laughs> right. would say that every year. It's time for the big push. <laughs> and that's what it was because it was. every August fourth, we would have to put together the tab section, the old right. tab section. Mm. And it was a ton of work, but I was really proud of it at the and end. And it was fun because it got you ready for the season. You knew oh, yeah, everything yeah. and you so were so prepared. Yeah, that's what awesome. I'm, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Just, yeah. just cracking open the, even recently cracking open the Phil Steele and do, and really analyzing every single team. It takes that's me one. two hours to do a chart before a game. Yeah. Before yeah. to get ready to make sure I pronounce everybody that's right. That's all the prep work that's oh gone God. now. Right, and it right, used yeah. to be all at once. Yep. And you could get excited after mm-hmm. you got done with the Big Ten right. about looking around the, 
country. And I would sift back in the Phil Steele and look at the Sunbelt Conference. And I could read, <laughs> I could read, you know, the, the crazy thing about Phil Steele is that he's got two pages on everybody, you know, he's right, got two pages right. on coastal Carolina. How does that happen? So that was all that excitement that is gone because the whole country isn't feeling that. The whole thing is diminished. The entire package is diminished. And it's as though they're all of a sudden this, this, there is some plausible deniability of reality because we all know this is a huge billion dollar business. But if you're involved in it and you love preparing for it, you can forget about all that. Well, can, and also, my friend, if you have friends who their livelihood and their life depend on it. And I have now being in this community 35 years, have many friends like that. That's yeah. tough too. So, you know, so the, the product that's coming out now, it's so transparent that it's simply to fulfill the TV contract. It's kind of like uh, wrestling in front of uh, like three people and just made for TV yeah. back in it the looks day. Like, right? It looks like baseball and baseball right now is not a good product. At least the NBA and the bubble tried to make their product look like normal and it was competitive and it was it was a good product even if you don't like the nba mlb is a bad product to me it's it's i have no interest in watching it and that's the way i, I feel about the college football i've seen so far i don't think the big time leagues are going to be any better and that's because college football is so so much about the rest of the stuff right it's not just about yeah, the is, game. is my conference better than your conference every time you go to the game it's mm -hmm. about the band mm -hmm. and the cheerleaders and the buzz all the other and stuff that, and the great pa announcer who does such an or, amazing or, job yeah there. or or the uh, <laughs> <laughs> plastic explosives are not allowed in uh, Dave, State. Dave, Dave, <laughs> folks have to understand that dave dave likes to give his opinion and he's always given his opinions on some of my announcements so it's all good <laughs> gasoline powered <laughs> lawn trimmers are not allowed in beaver stadium <laughs> <laughs> My friend, I'm going to miss seeing you, and I hope we get to see each other soon in uh, a situation where we're... And that's the other thing, is walking in the press box and just seeing everybody and, and the whole process. That's <laughs> It's family. It's not going to be the same this year and trying to make it the same. No. It ain't going to work. That's my, my opinion. Certainly will be interesting to see what happens here in the coming weeks as uh, more and more college football conferences come online, including the SEC. So we'll check back in with David if we need to. You can follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is djoneshoop, djoneshoop. He's also on Facebook, David Jones, and penlive.com is where you can find his work as part of uh, the Harrisburg Patriot News and the Penlive folks who do uh, such an amazing job covering Penn State sports. Thanks to my friend Dave, and we hope to see him soon. Another Dave is going to stop by. Dave Samuel, senior meteorologist, is going to come by. We figured we'd, uh, here in the middle segment, talk about the crazy weather, including uh, this uh, wildfire situation out west, this fall weather coming into the northeast, and everything in between. The weather for the upcoming weekend to be on up next on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today.
Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. This is meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks again to Dave Jones for talking about college football in our first Rays of Focus segment. We're going to switch things up. Normally, we do the weather segment last if we do a different segment in between, but I really felt like it was important to talk about the weather going into this upcoming weekend, especially with this unprecedented wildfire event going on out west. We've had crazy weather. We went from near 100 degrees one day to snow on the ground next early in the week in Denver and parts of the Intermountain West and the Rockies and this cool air has been invading to the east. I thought Dave uh, Samuel, our senior meteorologist and person who really has a lot of beat on the futures forecasting in terms of some of the long-range stuff and also uh, been paying a special attention to this wildfire situation would join me. And uh, certainly Dave is a college football fan as well. AccuWeather meteorologist Dave Samuel, a North Carolina State graduate, probably feeling the loss of big-time college football. At least you as an ECC fan, have something to look forward to, Dave, here as we get into a couple of weeks from now. But uh, Yeah, some ACC schools get going. Uh, a few games this weekend. NC State plays next weekend. So we'll see how this goes, see how we can you know, navigate the pandemic while playing football. We talked extensively to Dave Jones about that. Uh, again, that's our first race of focus segment. But now we're focusing on the weather. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring Dave into the mix here today is Dave takes a really good look at a lot of times, uh, especially out west, uh, really gets a good handle on our wildfire danger situation, which is off the charts. I mean, some of these uh, numbers about how much has burned and is burning from Washington State down through Oregon and then down into Colorado, just mind-boggling some of the the problems, Dave, and it looks like that continues here as we go into this upcoming weekend and into the early week beyond. Yeah, I mean, uh, the latest report, we have 85 large fires burning and a lot of them are out of control. And, you know, in the short term, there isn't much relief. The one saving grace is we're not dealing with 60, 70 mile per hour wind gusts anymore, which is why a lot of these fires got started. I mean, this would have been a major Santa Ana event for late fall or winter when they're usually a little stronger. We had offshore winds blowing across a huge chunk of the West. It was insane. So uh, fortunately, a lot of fires burning right now, a lot of residual smoke. So um, we're obviously fires are still out of control. So smoke is the main issue now, but you know, no relief for the fires, but maybe next week we'll get some rain into the Northwest. So won't help California much, but I think Washington and Oregon going to get some, uh, some of the wet stuff Tuesday, Wednesday, next week. Yeah. As we go into this second full week of September, the, the jet stream is still pretty far North up into uh, Southwestern Canada. So it's going to be warm and dry across the Rockies and, and the Western half of the country, but uh, not necessarily the searing heat. Of course, then the jet stream dives down and we've got some cooler weather. We've had uh, some of these fall previews. I mean, Chicago, as we record this during the midday on Thursday, is going to stay in the 60s. Uh, Same kind of murky in places like um, uh, Michigan today. And some of that coolness is trying to push into the east. And we saw uh, some flared showers and thunderstorms along the eastern seaboard as we ended into the weekend. But a fall preview for the northeast, heavy showers and thunderstorms continuing to kind of rotate around this kind of troughiness, Dave, that we see along the eastern seaboard with all of these uh, two tropical storms and two, three tropical things of interest, four, four, five more of that interest, right? Seven things to keep an eye on in the tropics in the Atlantic Basin. Busy time, but uh, doesn't look... uh, overly dry in the Northeast, especially upper uh, parts of the Northeast into New England. Probably later Sunday, it starts getting wet again. Yeah, it seems like where it's been raining a lot this summer, it just keeps raining and it's missing us here in central Pennsylvania. We had a few days of rain recently that helped, but 
Yeah, the, you you talked about this tropical moisture getting steered inland. There's just a monster upper level ridge just off the Atlantic seaboard steering this moisture in. And we're fortunate that there's not a, a tropical storm or a hurricane stuck underneath that ridge, or else it would be coming inland. And uh, we'd be talking about you know a lot more than just some flooding rain. But uh, for now, a lot of moisture around. We do have a couple of tropical storms out there, Paulette and Renee. Looks like they will not pose a threat to land, unfortunately. Boy, I took a look at the satellite picture this morning. It looks like we have tropical storms over Africa already. These waves that are over Africa are very well-defined and they're going to come offshore and our models are jumping all over them. And, you know, we could be dealing with another ridge about 10 days down the road that could steer something into the U.S. So, yeah, no no landfall threats, I don't think, in the shorter term. Although we do have to watch the Gulf of Mexico or yeah. something that's going to drift across Florida this weekend into the Gulf. That could develop next week. But then I think a greater threat's going to be the last 10 days of the month. We could be having our hands full with, you know, maybe one or two hurricanes threatening the U.S. coast. All right. So the highlights are highs building into the West, uh, high fire risk through at least Sunday, maybe a little relief as we get into the middle of the week. Uh, Friday is still going to be wet along the mid-Atlantic coast, although by Friday afternoon, drying out uh, Boston to New York, probably uh, those areas uh, and into New England, Saturday's a little better than Sunday. I think the moisture starts to return to the Northeast on Sunday, but you know mm-hmm. we're looking at uh, more downpours at times over the weekend. Um, the mid-Atlantic down to the Southeast continue to be a focal point where that warm, humid air wants to fight with the cooler, drier air that's trying to make some inroads. So uh, that's what we got to look forward to. I'm looking forward to this little bit of fall preview in the Northeast after coming off of warmest or second warmest, third warmest record summers here, meteorological summers. So a little taste of a fall preview, but tell you what, some nice weather at times coming, I think, for the Northeast. There's going to be some stretches of good stuff and then some stormy stuff too. Yeah, this weekend, it looks great in New England. Um, High pressure overhead, you're going to get your crisp, chilly mornings, nice afternoon, probably a little bit of color starting to show up. Some of the higher spots, but then you said like later in the day, Sunday, we're going to get some more rain uh, moving in. So, you know, that that looks like that's ahead of a front that could bring a really nice uh, break in the action and uh, even cooler fall-like weather across not just New England, but maybe all the Northeast, early and middle portions of next week. Could be pretty good looking once we get this front through. Dave, uh, it's good talking to you today. Thanks for your help. And we'll We'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good, Dean. Good talking to you as well. With all this volatile weather, now's a good time to, if you haven't done so already, upgrade your AccuWeather app. Uh, we've done some amazing improvements to our AccuWeather app. If you go back a few episodes here on Everything Under the Sun, we have a, a, an interview with the developers and a compendium on how best to use that app. But uh, certainly the wildfires and this cool fall weekend that we're expecting up in the Northeast and the repeated downpours that we could still see in some of the areas in the South and East. And of course, this tropical situation that we'll watch in the Atlantic Basin unfold next week. All things to keep track of on our website, AccuWeather.com, and on our AccuWeather network. When we come back, you know, we've been soliciting ideas for stories from the AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com mailbag, and we have a suggestion. It's a story about how you can better protect your equipment, electronic, and some of your appliances in your house, and what to do in case you do have some storm damage after a storm runs through your area and to your electronics and your appliances. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. In past episodes, you've heard me ask you for comments and questions and even some story suggestions by sending them to our email, accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we got an email from Paul from St. Charles, Illinois, who wrote... 
Uh, Dean, I love listening to you on KMOX, and I'm really enjoying the podcast. And one of our recent storms out here in the St. Louis area, I've lost a couple of pieces of electronic equipment due to a power surge. And I've had friends tell me that it's better to recycle than to replace those pieces of equipment. Do you have any advice? Well, Paul, for the uh, best ideas on that subject, I wanted to turn to someone who's an expert. And so I welcome in James Copeland from Electronic Restoration Services to talk about that very subject here on Everything Under the Sun. James, we thought it was important to have you on at this time because uh, we've got a lot of uh, situations where we've been um, a very busy hurricane season already and it looks like as we head into the peak of the hurricane season the next couple of weeks it is not going to let down and so we've had amazing amounts of uh, problems already with the storm related damage and so as we get into this uh, this period of time where uh, especially folks along the coastal areas are really having to think about and prepare for hurricanes in advance what are some of the things that we can do to prepare our houses especially for those big ticket electronic items that seem to get zapped very easily in these storms with uh, varying amounts of wind and electric fluctuations and all those kinds of things. What are some of your best advice for homeowners and business owners here as we get in the heart of hurricane season to get ready for ahead of a storm? I would start really looking at the electronics and appliances that you have and evaluate them and create an inventory or so you can see what you have and keep that list available. So if damage occurs, you can turn that into your insurance agent. One of the other things is, you know, really backing up your data and keeping it in a safe place or replicate it to the cloud. Uh, It would be smart to kind of move electronics to a safe room. You can wrap them in plastic, obviously not having them plugged in so they don't overheat, but really getting them up off the, the floor for any potential flooding. And then unplugging Ethernet cables. Anything you can unplug the cable lines, internet cables, phone lines, unplug them. If you can pull them from the wall and the device and wrap them up and keep them in a bag, uh, even better. Uh, that offers us some short-term protection so at least the waters can recede and then they can get back in there and start to evaluate uh, the impact that it had on their electronics and appliances. So, James, at this point in our life, right, just about everything, including even what we considered simple appliances, has some kind of smart chip or some kind of little computer in it. I mean, and, you know, you look at refrigerators these days. I mean, you can watch your television shows right in your refrigerator and all those kinds of things. So, as even things that are what we wouldn't have considered before having a uh, smart chip or an electronic brain or something. Uh, there's more and more appliances that we have to kind of almost treat like computers in terms of the way that we get them ready to uh, be in advance of a storm. Is that is that something you would agree with? Absolutely. With Bluetooth capabilities, you know, being able to look inside your refrigerator while while you're at the store to get the condiments that you're missing to see if you need milk. Yeah. You know, they come with these boards that are susceptible to various surges, but the best protection from hurricanes is really just to unplug them. So in any kind of storm, James, what are some of the things that we can do right away when we think we may have some damage? Are there some keys to maybe trying to recover that piece of equipment uh, if uh, we can act fast after a storm? Uh, One of the things that I recommend to my family and friends is really signing up for some of the community's warning systems as well as there's some available apps out there that provide emergency alerts for impending storms. You know, then of course, you know, trimming trees uh, near power lines so that way they don't fall on your house. Uh, As they go through the wall, they can short out wires. Those are some of the preventative things beforehand. 
Uh, but let's say you get an alert that a storm is coming and it shows that there's some intensity or maybe that there's a, a frequency of lightning strikes. One of the things that I would do immediately is simply the old fashioned protection and that's unplug everything. Um, unplugging everything that goes outside, internet lines. Uh, oftentimes if you have an indirect lightning strike, it can travel up through the ground, up through the ground wires, through network cable lines, through your internet cable. Unplugging those will guarantee protection because then the current can't travel to it. One of the other things that you can do besides just unplugging everything is have a licensed local electrician evaluate your home's internal grounding system. Oftentimes the surge suppression devices that they build divert that power to ground. So to ensure that you have a proper ground at your receptacles is key. They do offer whole home surge protection systems and a licensed electrician can install them at the meter. They can install them at your breaker. And that's really the, the high level protection uh, for those type of events. The thing that a homeowner can do right away or even a business owner is buy what's called point of use surge protectors. That's a device that you plug into an outlet and then you plug your valuable electronics into that. But, but be careful. Don't confuse power strips with surge protection power strips. For a baseline point of use surge protector, I would go with the jewel rating of 600 or higher. And, and the jewel rating, this indicates how much energy it can divert from your devices. Another thing that I would look for when purchasing a point of use surge protector is looking for the UL1449 voltage protection ratings or what was previous called suppressed voltage ratings. These are really tells you how much energy that's going to divert and looking for the best number you want to go lower. So if you had a SVR number of 330, that that's the best you can get. That's the amount of energy it's going to divert. But you really want to do your research and match the surge protection to the device that it protects. Talking with James Copeland from Electronic Restoration Services. Uh, so James, we've done our due diligence about trying to prepare. We've uh, tried to do everything we could, but Mother Nature just uh, had uh, better things in mind in terms of uh, the track of the storm, and it has impacted us. You know, we talked about what are some of the first things you can do if you have electronic damage, but if you do have damage, and you know, not only are we seeing an increased amount of uh, electronic waste or e-waste now, just with everyday life, you know, the things getting obsolete or running their life uh, cycle, but then storm damage, we're seeing a lot of this. So that's becoming a growing problem, right? Uh, E-waste and impact on the environment. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are some of the things that you can talk about to help folks if they do need to dispose of, of a damaged situation or, or what can they do of restoration versus say things like uh, just uh, absolutely recycling or, or throwing it away? It's very prevalent and it seems to only to be increasing as, you know, we turn in our devices every couple of years, you know, with the upgrades and there's just not a lot of thought of what you do with it at that point and you just toss it away. But, you know, when you look at e-waste, there's really four stages. That's the beginning stage, the supply. That's where they're mining the raw materials. And that is a heavy impact on our planet. And that's one of the things that recycling helps with. So if we can reduce the supply and the need to mine it, 
we're, we're, we're getting ahead of that. The next one is making smart purchases, purchasing electronics and appliance that have the energy star rating. They may cost a little more, but it's about the longevity, the life of that equipment and really maintaining it, which is the next cycle. So you purchase smart, maintain it, take care of it. Heat, computers are susceptible to heat. So keeping them clean, opening them up and vacuuming them out. Dryers are the same way. They get really dirty. They overheat. They start to create fire hazards. Maintenance is really important. And that's where restoration falls in. There's a misconception that when the item goes through an appliance or electronic goes through a catastrophe, such as a fire or some water damage, that it's, it's done, that it can't be saved. And it's simply not true. Technicians in electronic restoration services are taught specialized techniques, uh, not only evaluating the device and determine restorability, but using techniques and using the skill sets to keep that electronic going. And oftentimes, bringing it to pre condition, we, we can bring it back even better. So when you look at the four stages, supply, smart purchase, maintaining it, now you've reached the point of collection. And that's where once that item has reached its life or it's unrepairable, it's what we would consider total loss. If it, if it goes through an event and it has cosmetic damage or the repairs are not cost effective, at that point, it could be a total loss. At that point, you would want to take it to a certified electronics recycler. They're continually audited. They're going to strip it down, reuse some of those materials. So all the different gold, cadmium, all the different materials that are in there can be reused in, in, into other devices versus going back to the very first stage of e-waste, and that's the supply, the, the mining. So if we can get it to the collections rather than end it up in the landfill by throwing it in our garbage, we can take it to them, let them strip it down, and reuse those raw materials. James, those are uh, great points. I think uh, it takes uh, thought and planning. You know, maybe we're suffering under this uh, idea now. It's, it's, as you said, sometimes it feels like it's just easier to replace something with something new. But I think we got to make those smart choices going forward, uh, not only maybe for our own bank account when it comes to it, but also uh, for the environment too going forward. And we're obviously going to see more storms with this hurricane season, but these problems aren't uh, just for hurricane season, winter storms, severe weather, all kinds of storm problems for this kind of stuff. Uh, anything else you'd like to add or talk about in terms of what electronic restoration services can do? Our technicians are, are taught to use these specialized techniques, uh, whether that's through fire damage. Uh, we're able to look at soot. And when, when a fire takes place, for instance, you're going to have different materials that are produced as a result of the fire and the materials that are burned. And whether that's a complete burn or incomplete burn, that soot and that smoke odor migrates. It's important to act quickly and be able to evaluate the electronics and the appliance in an efficient manner, that it remains cost-effective for all parties, and that you're making the right choice. You can see corrosion take place with some corrosive properties to what soot can produce at times. You start to introduce humidity. You can see an onset of corrosion or short-circuiting. And water damage does a little similar to that with corrosion taking place. Uh, high humidity uh, will cause caking effects. So the maintenance is the key thing homeowners can do to maintain and extend the life of their electronics. So 
that being able to disassemble an item takes some talent. Electronic restoration service technicians can take apart anything. We fully disassemble the item, perform an evaluation, and use specialized techniques to remove the contaminants and bring it back to its pre-peril state. Whether that's water damage, we can even evaluate electronics and appliances that have been compromised by a surge. They're trained to look at the type four surge compression or surge suppression components that are on there, like metal oxide barristers, avalanche diodes, gas discharge tubes. We go in there and look at those in our evaluations because those are the ones that are designed to take those surges. So in our evaluation process, we're able to go in and evaluate it and determine if repair costs and restoration is going to be in our favor. Our goal is to really, we want to control e-waste. And it's, it's like you said, it's about being smart, making smart purchases, maintaining it, and extending the life of that electronic to when we finally, when it reaches its day and it's time to go, we take it to a certified recycler. And all our technicians are trained with that thought in mind of extending the life of that appliance and that electronics to keep it out of there. There's a lot of toxins in those devices that seep into the earth and they end up in seeds, they end up in the water system. And, uh, you know, that's going to have a heavy impact down the road for our children's children. So it's important now that we have discussions like this and educate. That is the key right there is education. So the misconception that because it goes through an event and it's done isn't necessarily true. We at Electronic Restoration Services have a great success rate in bringing those items back to pre-peril condition. If you'd like more information, uh, you can check out the website ers-us.com for Electronic Restoration Services. Again, ers-us.com. And that uh, way you can find out uh, your nearest person who you can talk to from Electronic Restoration Services. Thanks again to James Copeland. Thanks again to Paul for writing us. You can write us with a story suggestion or a question or a comment. Again, our email is accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Busy week in the weather office, and it looks like next week will be two. We'll also take a look at uh, some fall foliage forecasts next week as we're starting to get close to leaf peeping season in the Northeast with a little coolness coming in on this week. And we'll keep an eye on everything else, including the Atlantic Basin for possible more development of Atlantic hurricanes and tropical storms. It's going to be a busy weekend. We hope that you are safe and well for all of our AccuWeather team members who work so hard to keep you ahead of the storm and keep you up to date every day on the weather information that's important to you. For our executive producers of our podcasts and everything under the sun, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, and for me, your AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore, thanks for listening to Everything Under the Sun. We'll see you next week for Episode 4 of our back-to-school series on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of AccuWeather's podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.